0: Okay, welcome to another episode of the Map Life Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Williams, Director of Mindset and Performance here at Motivation and Performance Partners and Readiness Camps. And the reason why I began this journey of the Map Life Podcast was to really inspire you, for you out there to hear, to receive the insights, the tools, the concepts, the strategies that the greats use to achieve their greatness. You know, at MAP we believe that everyone, every single person on the planet has the ability to be great at something. Now, it's not just having that desire, but it's how do I achieve that? What are the particular strategies that I need to use in order to actualize the potential within me? And by listening to the stories of these great performers, whether it's these captivating artists, or whether it's the, these extraordinary athletes or, again, super successful entrepreneurs, we're going to give you the insights into how they used their particular strategies and then it ignited their excellence. And what we'd really love from this particular experience is for you to be able to take home and experience yourself that transcendence, that actualization of the great potential that you have within you so from all of us here at map we wish you all the best on your transition from where you are to where you want to be and we hope you enjoy the show okay let me paint a little picture for you in the vast frozen wilderness of the last frontier where the wind whispers tales of untamed beauty and the snow-covered landscapes echo with the spirit of resilience, there emerges a figure whose heart beats in harmony with the rhythm of sled runners slicing through the Alaskan wilderness. Christian Turner, a name that is synonymous with determination and passion, is not merely a musher. He's a living testament to the unconquerable spirit that courses through the veins of those who dare to embark on the ultimate test of endurance in what is being called the toughest race on earth, the Iditarod. As the fastest athlete from the Southern Hemisphere to complete the race, Christian's journey is not just about conquering the formidable terrain. It's a communion with nature, uh, an intricate dance between man and his loyal, absolutely beautiful and loyal team of sled dogs. And it's a celebration of unyielding human spirit against the backdrop, as we said before, of Alaska's majestic but unforgiving landscapes. The Iditarod is a 1700 kilometer dog sled race through the most testing, grueling, hectic uh, Alaskan landscape. And Christian has not only done it once, but he was called to do it twice, and we go deeply into the reasons for that. and We also discussed some of the incredible feats, the incredible scenes, uh, the incredible experiences that he had uh, looking after his team of dogs. Um, Christian and I have been friends for a long time and it was amazing to be able to ask him questions that drew emotion from the depths of both of us. Uh, It's an incredible interview with an incredible young man. He's now a husband and has recently become a father and in fact embarked on the quest of a lifetime. Only months after his daughter was born. Was that with the support of his wife? You'll have to tune in to find out. I have faith that this conversation will move you to ask yourself, how much more am I capable of? Episode 33 with Christian Turner. Dog did and rod athlete. Enjoy the show. Okay, guys. For season two, as you guys know, I'm always partnering with the best brands that are on the market. Brands that we here at Map. And readiness camps truly believe in and I'm super stoked that uh, we are continuing our partnership with project blank an eco-friendly wetsuit hardware and lifestyle brand that is founded on conscious honest decisions and blends quality with affordability and environmentally considered products now as they say over at PB the only footprint we want to leave is on the sand so when you purchase from Project Blank's epic range of products, and if you use the code MAPLIFE, M-A-P-P-L-I-F-E at checkout, you're not only assured that your choices are environmentally conscious and friendly, as you'll already be contributing to their charity partners, uh, Ecology Forests, Ecology Climate Projects, and the award-winning Seabin, and Project Blank have given us, and by us that means you, 20% of every order To distribute to our charities of choice and during the winter our charity of choice is protect our winters which is a collective of activists from around the world supporting and believing that nature needs our help now obviously our playgrounds being the surf being the mountains that we love to to spend and ride our time in um, these are the parts of the planet that require to really stand up for them and protect our winters is doing that across the planet so they're our charity of choice during our winter season and as we said 20% of every order on the project blank website using the code map life gives 20% of that directed straight to protect our winters so go over there check out the website at www.projectblank.com.au and buy something eco and epic for your next adventure outside. Do good, feel good, go blank. Okay, Hybration are back for another season of the Map Life podcast, and we're stoked to continue promoting their growing range of super high quality and highly potent medicinal mushroom-based products. Cacao elixir powders, mushroom extracts, and ceremonial cacao are fast becoming people's drink of choice when they're taking a break from coffee or when they just want to upgrade the quality of their cup all killer no filler Hibration Organics are hands down the best quality and most flavorsome medicinal mushroom products on the market and that's why map loves them they're honest they're truthful influential and essential for upgrading your body at a cellular level in order to get your hands on as much as you can Head over to the HibrationOrganics.com.au, that's H-I-G-H-B-R-A-T-I-O-N, HibrationOrganics.com.au. Throw in the code MAPLIFE at checkout and you'll get 20% off anything and everything you buy. So upgrade your performance today by looking after your physiology through Hibration Organics. So welcome to the MAPLIFE podcast. A good friend, an old friend of mine. We'll probably get into that at some point during the conversation. Christian Turner, how are you today, brother?
1: I'm really good. Um, pretty stoked to be here and thanks for taking the time to have a chat.
0: Mate, I'm I have we've been trying to tee this up for, for some time and we finally hit the nail on the head. We got we got duped last week with uh, the old Queensland, New South Wales uh, border daylight saving garbage. But um we're back on this week. We got it right and you know your beautiful partner and your, and your Christy and and Aluka have gone out right for the yep. afternoon just to give you some space to talk through this nice and nice and relaxed. But um, we did touch on this just before the conversation. But your last I and we and again we're going to go deep in, into the weeds on what this this the toughest race in the world is, and you know why you've chosen to do it and why I've chosen to do it three times. But run us through run run the audience through having a child and then yep. bang, you know. Pretty much two weeks into it, you've you've jetted off to the middle of Alaska to to race. Yeah.
1: So Luca was born in September last year, and a couple of weeks after she was born, there was a, a message on Facebook. It was actually a movie of this amazing dog team running down the trail, sixteen dogs, and the, the caption was "All revved up, but nowhere to go." And that Mitch Seavey, who's past winner of the race, that was his dogs, and obviously they were under good training, but he'd hurt his back. And was unable to run and i jokingly put under this little facebook thing well oh, i'll come run them and you know within minutes he private messaged me and said let's make it happen and i turned to christy and luca was asleep she was only a little blob at the time and i'm like oh look at this message and she goes oh are you kidding <laughs> and then we i said i said back to mitch i'll oh, give us a you know 48 hours to think about it and talk it over and christy just the next morning said oh you should do it you know there's not a lot you can do now um luca's tiny and she needs me more than she needs you so Go, go for it! You won't get this opportunity again. And I, I said to him, righto, I'll um, I can only be there for eight weeks. And normally, when you're training a dog team for the race, you train it for six to eight months. You've mm. got to condition them all the way up like a marathon runner. But um, he 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 had already conditioned them well enough. And then he brought someone in and paid them to actually continue the training on after he hurt his back. And I basically just came in as a, a jockey, a dog team jockey. And so yeah. And uh, Christy was amazing, and just looked after Aluka here, and we had some family support as well. And um, yeah, luckily we had maternity leave payments, and I just went over there and followed my dreams again.
0: And as a as a new father, and again, understandably, and I mean, I've, I work with, I speak with, I've, I'm involved with in terms of my f- great friendship groups. Fathers at that early stage, as you've said, we and I shouldn't say we because I'm not a father yet, but I, I have seen that as you said, you're really there to support your partner and to give every ounce of energy to her to then give energy to the, the your son or daughter. So as a young father, knowing that you're away, like what was the mindset? What was the, what was, what was some of the fears? What was some of the, when you're over there, what were some of the massive moments of just like, but should I be big- here? Should I not?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of those thoughts going back and forward. The biggest one was because this is our first baby, I just didn't know if it was going to affect a relationship. Well, obviously, it was, you know, tr- distance always affects a relationship between you and your, your partner, but we're we're married, we're very solid, so we, we were able to do that. But I was worried about the relationship between me and Aluka, being why I'd never had a baby and never knew what it was like, especially at that stage. I spoke to my my siblings who have kids and you know, we talked it out and we're like, do you reckon it will affect us? And they all sort of came to the conclusion that I was not going away for too long. And at that stage, really, they've got the mum baby relationship going on, and you're there, like you've said, to support the support the the, the sole caregiver, which is the mum. And Christy is just a superhuman, so she was able to do it without me. She even travelled overseas in that time. She went to Thailand for a little backpacking trip with Bub, (laughs) which is out of control. Um, And I was, whenever I could get the opportunity, I would video call them both, but um, I was out of service, obviously being in the interior of Alaska in the middle of nowhere. But I would would drive the truck, if snow conditions permitted, into town, and then, um, yeah, video call whenever I could.
0: Wow. And, yeah, those moments... In your mind, like, did any of that play into your ability to perform within the race? I mean, pre-race, yes, 100% you would have had these moments, but, you know, game day, time to dominate, time to do what I've got to do, I guess it's 10 days, right? So It's 10
1: days. I put myself, you know, in a special frame of mind for the race. You've worked so hard to get there. This team's worked incredibly hard, hard harder than I worked. They've been working for, as I said, six months before the race. You put yourself in a mindset, but after eight days of no sleeping, come the ninth day, if something goes wrong, you think, what am I doing? Why aren't I in Australia in, in the sun and with my new baby and my beautiful wife? But at those times, I guess you sort of just, you push the red line, you push the threshold and say, you know what, it's only two more days it's going to take me longer than that to fly home so just man up get it done and you'll you'll feel better about yourself and obviously your wife and your kid will support you whatever your decision is but i think they would be more happy with me finishing after committing so much time and effort into what you know the build up
0: of course yeah and obviously i guess even in this it would be a completely different experience for a young father to say say um Dallas who was the young guy who gave you the the squad the team being if he was single or and not having to go through these particular moments with it whether it's day 7 day 8 day 9 it almost sounds like a meditation experience across 10 days you know the vipassana's where you go all through all of these ups and downs and ebbs and flows it's so, a mass, massive yeah.
1: emotional roller coaster and you get so fatigued because you're not sleeping out every 24 hours you're lucky to get two hours of sleep and that just compounds and basically by the end of it you're you're seeing issues that you don't have you're thinking issues that aren't really there hallucinating hallucinating or just you know overthinking really overthinking and, and creating dramas and problems mentally that aren't really there like if you were well rested and at the start of the race that wouldn't have been an issue for you you would have just overcome it and kept going. But these things compound. And the real the real champions, as well as having great dog teams and great training, are the ones that can overcome those things when they're fatigued and, and tired and when it's minus 40. You know, there's so many things that that sort of make it hard for you. But um yeah, yeah, you just sort of you keep pushing and and you know your limits and you know your dog's limits. And if you've got a, a really good process in your four hours of stopping time for the dogs, if you can get an hour's sleep. That's going to, it's going to be very beneficial the next two days moving forward.
0: You talked about process and mindset and like, what, how do you get through those particular things? I mean, and again, I'll use Vipassana as an example. And for anyone out there, Vipassana is a 10 day meditation, silent retreat, where you meditate for upwards of 10 to 12 hours a day. You're eating very minimal meals and understandably, like spending that much time in your own head for a lot of people could get very difficult, very emotional. So. How do you prepare for something that you know is going to happen? What was your preparation process mentally to get through those moments? Because you know they're going to show up at some point. You've done the idea of three times. Yep. And again, we'll go through some of these stats in a minute, which is phenomenal. But yeah, how I mean, getting straight into it, how do you how did you prepare the mind knowing what was to come?
1: So physically and mentally, you've got to be capable of doing a thousand miles with no, no sleep through the alaskan wilderness and if you aren't able to do you know if you're not capable of doing that you shouldn't be anywhere near the race so obviously this is my third time i i know i can do it even on such little training going over there for sort of five weeks before the race as soon as i landed on the plane i didn't have time to have jet lag i jumped on the dog sled and i went for 500 miles of training straight and so that you dive into the deep end you don't get any sleep in that training you're feeding the dogs you're doing everything you're going to do on the race and a mental thing that I do during training and during the race. And I I think it's very, yeah, no, it's like a, a calming mechanism for my brain because you're overthinking, you're worried about situational things. But what I do is I count the dogs. And so I go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine 10, to 14. Or if I've dropped the dog at a checkpoint and then I'll go backwards and you find yourself doing that. Cause you know, you're out there for hours and hours and hours. And I just find it relaxing for the mind to just keep counting the dogs. And you know exactly where they are in the team, what they're doing. And it gives you, a clear indication of that dog if it's performing like it should, and then you know always up and down the team, up and down, and even when I'm asleep for an hour, I find myself dreaming of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It's like over and over, but it gets me through. And and yeah, it's it's sort of just keeping your mind busy, not letting it waver.
0: When you say busy, like because obviously there's a difference between chaotic and I guess busy or focused on something. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, for- focused and still alert enough because if you're, if you're just sitting there on the frozen ocean you've got no surrounds in are middle of the night you're going to want to go to sleep but if I if you're focused on what you're doing and the, and the goal you've got set in front of you even if it's just a the next two hours goal you know in two hours I'm going to stop and I'm going to feed these dogs that the 25-mile mark of this 50-mile run. You just focus on those little steps. Well, that's what I do. You know, some pe- people might have different processes, but that's sort of how I come, <laughs> mentalize it, like give it stages. Yes, yes. And, and by doing those stages, you're achieving your goal by the end, I, I find in my in the race, because if you look at the whole race, it can be pretty overwhelming unless you just focus on each run. Each Mate, you've, run amazing. You've,
0: you've talked about the way that we discuss these things at MAP2 is, is climbing in terms of an ascending goal, you know, the peak of the mountain is the vision. But looking at the top of Everest, you don't climb that in one push, right? It's it's broken down into stages. The same yeah. way the goal setting or vision work is strategized into stages of the climb. And it's the science backs that up. It's like, yeah. again, that overwhelming amount of distance that you'd have to, um, you know, carry and, and really work these dogs, have that relationship, stay focused, all of that. If you're thinking 1,700 kilometres, which is what it is, team, across the uh, multiple different, I guess you could say, terrains in Alaska, which we'll talk about. But by breaking that into those stages, it's exactly what the science of the brain would tell you to do in order for you to stay focused, calm, clear, because it's giving you those little carrots to move towards. And its uh, it sounds very much like, again, it's, it's not like it's a... And again, we're talking about the Iditarod here, which I'll get Christian to explain right now. But it's not like it's a horse race where it's like, oh, go, go, go. It is no. it is a lot of the time it's smooth. And, and when I say smooth, it's like across an ice sheet and it's in one direction, one plane. It's like going from one side of Australia to the other. It's just dead straight. And you, as you said, there's times where you're just like, oh, I could probably not off here. Whereas the greats, and again, your results would put you in a very top echelon of, of results in terms of people know what to do, they can compartmentalize. And it's very much sounds like almost like a mental meditation.
1: It is. And by doing those cup, cup, I can't pronounce the word cup mental wise. um, By doing that, you're able to achieve and feed your dogs. You're able to, you know, get each part down the trail, get further down the trail, which is basically what you need to do. You you don't need to focus on the end result. You need to focus on getting down the trail. And by, you know, you know you're going to snack every 20 miles. So focusing on that twenty miles, or you know, you got to every time there's a booty that falls off a dog, you've got to stop and put that booty on. And those things, just concentrating on those and concentrating on each each dog as you move down, stops you thinking of oh, in two hundred miles, I've got to go across hundred miles of frozen ocean. I hope it's frozen, sort of thing. <laughs> you know, you cross that bridge when you get to it, and just focus on moving down and what's in front of you, really. And by doing that each time, even in training, you get better and faster at at doing those certain things. You know, you get better at feeding your dogs at two o'clock in the morning without three days of sleep because you're just focusing on feeding your dogs. And straight after that, you've got a a schedule or a process. I feed my dogs, then I massage every single dog's right leg because I'm on the right side of the team, those sorts of things. And you just set it, set it up for how it works with you. And by doing that, you're setting up your team and yourself for the best chance of success.
0: Amazing. So that that calm clear process that you've got and again that process may shift and change across the race where it's like right leg to left leg to this but setting these processes up for success is this something that you've learned over your three Iditarods or is this something that you you always had through your preparation through your mentoring it definitely helped
1: being mentored by Dallas who's currently, you know, he's got five, five championships to his name. He was the youngest person to win the race. He's got the speed record as well. Like he's, he's you know, the Tom Brady of dog mushing. And so I moved over to live with him in 2020, 2012. And he was, you know, a superstar at the time and just progressed three more championships in a row after that. And just having him in my, my corner per, per se, was, you know, I can't, I can't even thank him enough. He taught me how to run dogs. He taught me how to live in the wilderness and he has it so dialed down into his process that he's just like we've explained. He doesn't treat it like a mountain. He treats it like steps, Mm -hmm. steps of a mountain. Every, Every time you've got to focus on little bits and pieces to achieve the biggest goal. And you know, he, he I've never seen anyone unpack a sled and pack a sled faster than he can do it because he knows exactly where everything is. He knows where to put it back. And just those little things that he sort of, you know, spends so much time critiquing and making leads to championships.
0: Amazing. And again, this this falls under the processes that we work here with athletes across multiple disciplines, artists across their disciplines, in terms of that foundation of calm, And that calm, creating that sense of clarity through the right process. So it's not just about doing any process. A lot of the time, systems and processes aren't great. They need to be optimized. But once you've got a process to do it right, it's going to build into this next stage of being able to feel that you can do what you're just about, as I said, would almost most people would see as impossible. So can you unpack as, as, and I mean, you must have done this a thousand times trying to <laughs> tell guys like myself what this actual race is. But for the audience, the Iditarod, it's called the toughest race on earth for, for an actual reason, 1700 kilometers across multiple terrains in Alaska. Can you explain a little bit about the race itself and I guess the meaning behind it and yeah. why, why a guy from, you know, the Northern beaches of Australia, which is the, again, you know, where we've, or where we met anyway, decided that this was his quest.
1: Yep. So the, the dog sled, I did a road race is, as you said, a thousand miles. It's the reason it came about was the locals were realizing that the, the culture of dog sledding was slowly dissipating with, with the, you know with the mechanical age coming in snow machines and float planes were coming into alaska and before that the sole form of transport was dog sled because once once it freezes up once the big freeze once the rivers and the ocean freezes that's how you get around dog sledding back then but as these snow machines came in they were sort of there was a super highway on the big rivers and just snow machines and they they, they noticed that the dogs were really the kennels were getting smaller the dog the dog breeding and the dog there's actually a dog breed called the alaskan husky it was mm-hmm. Basically, it wasn't going extinct, but it was very rare to see a dog team. And so they brought in this race and the Alaskan government is right behind it. It's been going for 52 years now. It is basically just an homage to the culture of Alaska and the Inuit people as well, a lot of Inuit people, which is the native word for Australians, call them Eskimos, but they're called Inuits. Um, That's the native tongue. It's a way of them sort of paying homage to their own culture and keeping the dog sledding alive because it's very expensive to keep a dog team. You need a lot of dogs to run the Iditarod, And so they've, the government's brought in money and people do tours. That's another way to keep this part of culture. But like So tourism is massive in Alaska. People come to Alaska and then they get to go on dog sled tours in winter. And in summer, they actually run tours up on the glaciers. And so a lot of those tour organizations have professional races behind them. And so come race season, they use those same dogs to race. The race goes from Anchorage, which is the main city, all the way up past the Arctic Circle to a town called Nome. And Gnome was only there f- during the gold rush period. They still dredge gold out of the Bering Sea, which is where you would have seen the show um, Deadliest Catch. So when I've every time I've been up there and the, the ice is frozen, we go out and we cut a big hole in the ice and we, we catch crab. The same way we catch crab here in Australia, just drop a crab pot down. But in winter, you can do it by just chainsawing ice out of the way and dropping a crab pot. Which is pretty cool. So that's Mm. that's yeah. You've got mountain ranges, you've got frozen rivers. The Yukon River is the biggest biggest river in North America. You travel that for two hundred miles, so it's three days straight of frozen river, and yeah, it's it's an amazing race. It's an amazing community that compete and also volunteer. It's huge volunteer operation from villages, native villages all the way along the trail to you know lawyers and and big companies in the city like shell who sponsors it um so yeah it's a massive massive race and the real reason it's going is to sort of keep the culture of the inuits alive and well
0: again for the way you just spoke about the alaskan wilderness the, and you know you've mentioned a few things in that that little conversation and and knowing you is who is someone who is really connected to the land you know here and you know the ocean and one you must have been excited you know for your first I did ride second as well third that you were able to experience and get out there and and be one with the wilderness but and that's the first part was that one of the driving forces or one of the driving reasons why you did it and the second question was can you explain the feelings that the awe that you must have experienced from seeing some of the most beautiful scenes a human has probably ever witnessed? So definitely being out um, in those landscapes
1: is you know you'll never experience it that those trails, some of them are only ever put in for the race. There's no other reason to travel between you know checkpoint B to checkpoint C other than when the race is on. So, I can safely say, me and the other 712 people that have ever finished the race are the only ones that have been there, you know, by dog team traveling. For myself, I guess it was a real challenge. I want, I love dogs. I love dog sledding, and sort of the echelon is finishing the Iditarod. So in you know 2012, I decided I'm going to, I'm going to put my foot down and I'm going to put everything, all my eggs in one basket and try and finish this race. And I did. I finished it the first year I I, I tried, and. It was so emotional during the race, but I was overtaken by emotion finishing the race. I didn't, I came 38th, you know, it was my rookie year. I was just blown away at the whole thing, meeting people along on the trail, the native villages. But the biggest thing was just the self, um, the the feeling of accomplishment. You know, an Australian kid from Sydney has just traveled 10 days in minus 40 with the dog team. That's pretty, pretty cool. But, you know, I don't really think about it like that. I just think about it that, I did it. you know. I, I put all the effort in for qualifying training. You've got to spend a whole year qualifying for the race before you can do it. You can't just turn up and do it. So you've got 750 miles of qualifying races all across Alaska that you have to do. So yeah, I, re- I really spent my 20s focusing on being able to do the race. And then once you have finished it, you're qualified for life. So then you don't have to do that again. But yeah, just, just that feeling... And feeling of finishing and that raw emotion of, wow, I've, I've accomplished this massive life goal. <laughs> and then within 12 hours after having a good sleep, I want to do it again. I want to do better. I want to do it faster. I want to, you know. The human mind, man. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. But, yeah, I just, I, that feeling, I even got it this year. Like I was away from my family, but I, was, I still finished this incredibly hard feat. More people summit Everest every year than have finished the race ever. So that that says a lot about the race. And that's not saying people aren't trying to do it. It's just they they don't have the the teams. They don't have the, I don't know, the ability and the mentor that I had to be able to just crush it, which was really cool.
0: Okay, guys and girls, just a quick break in the show to let you guys know of our new MapLife podcast sponsor, Pro Vitality. Now, if you want to get across and check out Pro Vitality, you will be amazed at what's available there for you guys. With a 5% discount at the checkout using the MAP Life Code, M-A-P-P-L-I-F-E. Pilates machines, fitness machines, infrared saunas, traditional saunas, ice baths, outdoor showers, you name it. You need it for your health and wellness. It is there to pick up with a 5% discount thanks to the Pro Vitality team whose values, and this is one of the big things I love about this crew, integrity, relationships and service. And again, three essential pillars when it comes to doing great business. So if you share both myself and George from Pro Vitality's passion for living an active and healthy lifestyle, head to provitality.com.au. And again, all your needs will be serviced with great integrity and an incredible relationship. Go and get some, enjoy your day back to the show. Yeah. I mean, that feeling of satisfaction of, which is that internal intrinsic motivation that you experienced. And when you get it right, it just, it's, it's like an eruption, right. Of emotion, especially having it bottled up under the most extreme circumstances over, over that, not just the 10 days of the race, but in the entire preparation, it's, That moment, and I, 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 I guess because I've never climbed a mountain of any kind of scale of you know Everest or anything like that. But some people have said, well, I don't know why guys climb mountains, and I'm said, what you just said is why they do it. Is that moment at, when they peak out that satis- internal mechanism satisfaction of, of a job or a quest or a, like the hero's journey to get to that top? And yes, you know you're knackered, you're beat. Yeah, everything in you is just like I need sleep. I need everything, and my body's at this end of its tether. But this is being life. I, 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 yeah. I truly would believe that that would be the feeling that that becomes almost not a, not addictive, but it becomes the reason why yeah. the, the body it's, wants to go again.
1: They they do say that mountain climbing or mountaineering and dog sledding have the same, you know, emotional appeal and and i think a lot of that comes from being out in the wilderness and it's not just camping you're hmm. actually surviving you're you're traversing for mountaineers they're going up high for you know long distance mushers you're going across or or through depending on the storms or temperatures you're getting yeah it's <laughs> i sort of get that analogy of flying too close to the sun and getting burnt but you always want to yeah, Icarus, you're always trying to get closer and closer because it's just that feeling. It's, it's red hot and it's awesome. When when I finished the first time, the last there's one last mountain you come over, it's called Cape Gnome. It's 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 a fair mountain. Like it's you would you probably maybe think like the blue mountains in Sydney that big. So you've come up one side, come up out of Penrith, and you're coming back down to Katoomba or whatever on the other side there but you can see the you can see cape gnome and you can see Nome township and i just put my hands out and started crying really like I'd, I'd made it i knew me and the team only had that far to go and it was, it was a pretty emotional time and even this year coming up over cape Nome, it was the same sort of feeling like we we pushed through some storms you know and you can have a big breath of fresh air and you know you've made it and then yeah you get you get to the finish line you you're swamped with people that are just so stoked for you it's oh, cool. that
0: that connected community moment and you see it in in long distance running as well there's a real sense of understanding from the crowd like the Tour de France has got a little bit of that as well you know any any kind of feat where a crowd can be receptive to the champions you know and yeah. everyone that starts and finishes it, even anyone who just starts is still a champion I mean you said before that the oldest guy to try and do it was 80 years old and he, he didn't complete it, but he had completed it previously. And the youngest yeah. to do it was at 18 on his 18th birthday, which is your mentor, Dallas. His old man was the oldest to win it at 57. So it's like human beings like yourself who can put themselves into once the first time, can put themselves into these environments where the the mind and the heart and the soul and everything is challenged to its its absolute best and to as you said fly close to that sun and but come down and make it and be embraced. That is, I mean, that is the reason why I believe we are here as a human race is to for everyone to do that in their own way. Whether it's the Iditarod or whether it's a Tour de France or whether it's owning a business, whatever it is that pushes you to your limit or to your ultimate. Yep. To experience that feeling that you experienced, and not everyone's had this, of that ultimate satisfaction of personal best. That for me is the greatest feeling on the planet. I mean, I don't have a child, so maybe that is, but it's 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 gotta be close.
1: They're, yeah, they're they're a little different. Now I can sort of testify to that. Before <laughs> I would have said, Yeah, it's the, the best feeling ever. But I still think it's it's different to having a baby and it's sort of once. That that first finish line was once in a lifetime, and the other two times, you know, I'm still feeling very accomplished, and this is fantastic. Like I'm doing something I love doing. I think that's it. I'm doing something I love doing, even if I'm, you know, not the best at it in the world. As long as I love doing it, and I'm doing the best I can, and I I feel like I'm doing the best for the dogs and the best the dogs can under every circumstance. That was the best feeling for me, and that's you know, the feeling of accomplishment for me. When I finished the race this year in 13th, I had a team that maybe could have been in the top five, but I think for me and those dogs, we did the best and we traveled down that trail the best we could and the fastest we could. And so that was more than enough for me. And when I explained that to the owners of the dogs, because he was like, well, we had a really good team. And I explained it just like I just did then. And he was like, yeah, I'm really proud of you. Straight Absolutely. I was like, okay, that's it. Absolutely
0: and that that's that satisfaction of knowing you gave it everything not yeah. not you not 97 not 98 you gave it 100% of what you got you left it all out there and again whether you're trying to grow a business or grow a family or become an nba superstar or race the Iditarod, on it's like you only you know whether you've yeah. got anything left in the tank and yeah. that's the person you've got to be accountable to as you said and that if you're accountable to that throughout the process preparation execution you can enjoy it Right, and as you said, be satisfied with a job well done.
1: And that's not to say, as I said, after twelve hours of, of good rest, you're always double thinking what you could do better in the future and the next time you do it, and the little mistakes you made. But that's that's the human brain. You're always going to want to do better, and you know, and by by processing those things and you know thinking, even if you come first, you're still going to do that. You're still going to say, you know, if I if I did it this way, or if I got half an hour sleep here. Then our time would have been better. But being cont- content with your, well, for me, being content with my um, my placing was re- really sort of I don't know made me very happy with myself and with with how I went in the race. Being happy with the place I got because I knew I'd done so well with the dogs. But and your decision making, yeah, decision making. But then other teams you talk to, you know, haven't haven't had that sort of realization, yeah. But they they will. Everyone, everyone has a different process.
0: That's right, and 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 again, you know, what's good for one guy may not be right for the other. All uh, girl at the at the same time, but like you said, it does come down to process, right? And have you have you seen any correlation between the preparation process that you've had in racing a seventeen hundred kilometer race and being able to take some of that back into being a father, being a partner, you know, going to work? Into I wouldn't call it real life, but it's just life, right? So, yep. like, has there been a crossover of some of the the lessons and the learnings that you've taken from the old you admit, the toughest race in the world?
1: Definitely. The biggest thing I've taken away from it is not to not quit, but to think about ways of getting through situations, like rather than you know pulling up pulling the handbrake, just you know, you can slow down a little bit and think of ways around a, a problem. And that's, that's what you do in the race. You know, if there's an open water area, you're not going to stop. You're going to find a way around it with your dog team, or you're going to, you know, wade through it slowly. So that that sort of learning from the race and from training I've, I've come to use in my life. Like, you know, it's and I guess it sort of stops me being negative as well. In, in situations say if you look you know i own my own business if i have some issues financially or whatever like don't get negative about it just work work around what i was doing wrong and you know proceed keep, keep try and keep move forward that's that's the biggest thing with the race you've got to try and keep moving forward and i definitely use that in life and you know minus 40 was no sleep you've got to keep moving forward i was going to freeze <laughs> so like i try and use that in life as much as i can those that same mentality and just also obviously muscle memory in a race like that you uh, like we spoke before you you get used to doing that process every you know how whatever process it is using during the race to make your team get down the trail you've worked on that process until it's perfect for you and your team i try and use that same thing with my work or even just getting up in the morning and having a process of getting out of the door, you know, like I know what, what's going to help me get out of the door right on time and I'm not going to be late for work. So I definitely use those sorts of things in real life.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, we they always say that sport is quite a, um, a correlative metaphor for life and you've proven that just yeah. beautifully there. And again, for anyone listening, there's some absolute gold right there for you. Now you you, you you say the word team. I mean, we we've discussed this, but for the audience, what do you mean when you say your team?
1: I mean the 14 or 16 dogs you start with and yourself. <laughs> so that's just you and the team of dogs. But the, the dogs are really the, the superstar athletes and you are you you're, the, you're their mentor and you're their carer for when they need it, but they're they're the superstars.
0: Almost like they they the they're, they are the team and you're the coach or is it
1: yeah yeah i i help them reach their potential i guess i you could say i'm the coach um, but their physical and their mental capabilities far outweigh any human i've ever met those dogs are amazing and compared to your regular house pet these guys are just superstars they they train hard they they play hard they eat hard and then when it comes to game day, race day, they are there supporting each other, supporting you, and and they'll they'll try their hardest. They are fantastic athletes. I can't say enough positive things about Alaskan sled dogs. They're ridiculous,
0: <laughs> and they're obviously running dogs, and they love to run. And that's why you know, like again, a sheep dog is a sheep dog. You know, a running yep. Alaskan running dog is a running dog, so it loves to run and. Just being a guy who loves dogs, I'm sure, as because you know, I know you do as well. You've said that in the in the cast as well. There's a like the relationship you must have with with every single one of them must be just insanely, just beautiful, amazing, just like so connected.
1: You you, you build oh. a a huge relationship more so in 2014 and 2015 because I was there for so long with of them. And you, you know, you you build such a good relationship and big rapport with them. And you know the ins and outs of each dog. You know their capabilities through a storm. You know which dog to put in the lead when you're going to go through six foot of open water because he charges and he's going to swim and he's going to be happy about it. Six so you just
0: wa- foot of open water.
1: Yeah. My word. Yeah. So in 2015, we went along the Yukon for 50 miles of open water, basically just treading water through the slop. And that's not to say the river's open, it's just called overflow and the water gets up on top of the ice and then melts the snow. And so then you've got open water on top of frozen ice. And it doesn't, like if there's a divot, it's all going to sit in that big open area. But if there's enough of it, it will just create another river on top of the ice.
0: And then you would talk, because in 2014, you know, it was your rookie year, came 38 out of 75, which is, again, mid-pack. But, they, you know, they say it was the hardest of all time, the 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 mm. worst in so terms of 75 the, the
1: started. I'm pretty sure there was only about, four, don't quote me on this, but 42 or between 42 and 45 that actually finished. Wow. Let the audience
0: know why. What happened that year? Why was it the worst?
1: So 2014 was, was the, the toughest I did ride in history because we didn't have snow. We only had a real light crusting on certain parts of the trail, but say 75% of it had no snow at all. So you're going down gorges you're going across frozen lakes with no snow cover so there's no way of stopping and there's no friction to steer your sled or for the dogs to really hold on to so you're just slippy sliding or when you're going down the thing called the Dalzell gorge it's basically just an avalanche chute, and you need snow to go down it so we went down with no snow and it's just you're hitting trees you're going over Crevices, rocks, and the dogs. The dogs are capable because they've got four legs. They're just running, and if you've got no no break to slow your sled down and you down, they're just going to run faster and faster and faster and faster until you know you're hurtling down there at 32 k's an hour, 35 k's an hour down an avalanche chute. A lot of people in that particular race broke their legs. Someone broke their collarbone. A lot of people just gave up. Like you know, it was it was too fatiguing for them and too just too intense. It was really intense. It was almost like a casual casualty ward in a checkpoint called Roan, which was after the Dalzell Gorge, which is yeah, a real notorious, tough, tough stretch. But yeah, my line broke and I lost 14 of my dogs. They took off because I hit a tree, flat out, hit a tree, snapped the line, 14 dogs kept running and I had two dogs in my sled. And so it took me 12 hours to run. I ran two miles in almost no gear, finally found the dogs. It was a massive recovery sort of. Rescue mission, deal, yeah, mission. But you got no one to help. It's just you, and so yeah.
0: And how I mean. do you prepare for that? Like, is is that something that you discussed prior to it?
1: No, that's oh, very, yeah. very, very rare for your lines to break because you never you shouldn't be going that fast. <laughs> but you're going that fast because you got no way of breaking your sled. Of course. Yeah, it was it was a amazing experience for my rookie year. That's for sure. And I guess by overcoming such a tough trail and and then talking to, you know, professional mushers that have done it for years. And then they they were unable to finish that year. I sort of had a, the same self uh, feeling of self accomplishment. And then, yeah, to come back in 2015, it was much easier. It was really cold, but we had lots of snow. And then 2023, we had, it was a great year. Like, well, yeah, great. let's not
0: skip over 15 because in 15, you became like the fastest Southern Hemisphere athlete ever.
1: Yeah. And still still hold that record. Still hold
0: that record in your second year, which is two, 2015, after the toughest of the toughest races on the world. You come back, you've know, you you got, a, a, again, a great team, and you smash it out of the park, right? As you said, the, the first 14 to finish were all from Alaska, and number 15 was the, the kid from Australia. Yeah.
1: But at I'm, what age I'm, were you at
0: 15, 2015? Like 26. Oh, dude. You yeah, boy. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs>
1: Yeah we've yeah. been 26 yeah it it was it was really cool um doing well and and seeing those champions, like you are coming into a checkpoint when when you're in the middle of the pack or towards the back of the pack like 2014 you're coming to the checkpoints and the people around you you're sort of like okay we're we're the rookies we're just finishing this race 2015 I was coming into the checkpoint before the first first, first person had left so I knew I was I was right in the mix there And then towards the end of the race, it spread out a little bit, but I was still, I think I was only eight hours off first place. So over, you know, 10 days of racing, which was pretty cool. Wow. Did you have the same team? A a few of the dogs. Yep. A few of those dogs also went into the championship team that won that year. So because I was working with Dallas who won until 2015. So my really good dogs from 2014 went into his team to help him win. And I had some of the guys I was racing in 2014, and then I had some puppies that they're classified puppies when they're two year old, two years old puppy. That's team. an
0: incredible result.
1: Yeah, in 15
0: with with again with a, 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 I wouldn't say it's a, a, a second grade team because it but we, because we, all we
1: call them we call them the B team. B team, right? B team, yeah. And then in 2014, the year before. I had a literally a puppy team. I had 14 puppies. all two why old. they ran
0: off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I didn't care about me. <laughs> and then, yeah, so I sort of, again, bit, little steps. You start with the puppy team and then the next year you get the B team. And then 2023, 20, I was lucky enough to have a race an A team.
0: Wow. And then in, in, in uh, sorry, 23, you come 13th. So you've increased again, yep. um, which was phenomenal. Like, again, like, I, I'm, I'm not sure whether we um, want to ask, like, are you going to do it again and try and hit that top 10? But there's a... That, that was the the goal
1: this year position-wise. So- I wanted to be in the top 10. And that was sort of, we had a team that was well and truly capable. They were superstars. But we just had some, um, some, some obstacles that really slowed us down. And as I said, I, I was very happy with how me and the team finished the race and the fact that we did finish after having such, you know, obstacles to overcome. And every team has obstacles, but this this particular race seemed to slow us down a little bit more than other teams.
0: But can you mention what that is or you can't? So there was a, a bug that
1: went through a lot of the teams and it, it creates basically dehydration, um, diarrhea in, in the team. And for me, once something like that happens to my dogs, I take the foot off the throttle, basically, and it's more about dog care. Um, getting these guys healthy, getting them eating again. Because when dogs don't feel well, they don't feel like eating. Mm. And obviously, if you're running a marathon every single day, you're running 100 miles a day, you need to be eating. So basically, take take the foot off the throttle, give them some extra rest, give them some extra food, and and think about making it to the end rather than racing to the end.
0: Yeah. So uh, like a proper, proper care, proper care, yeah. a proper coach, you yeah. know, amazing, man. And that's, I mean, it goes to... And everybody listening goes to show you what kind of a, I guess a, a human but a, a man you are in terms of that relationship you have with these teams. And as I was saying before, the the relationship you must have with these dogs it 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 must be life changing. You know, in terms of some of the the memories you would have, and you know some of the things you've gone through with you know these fourteen or sixteen pups, or whether they're the eighteen, just the uh, the gratitude that you must experience with these with this team for these teams that you've had that feeling that of that love and connection just must be so powerful
1: it is and like like you would have heard me before just expressing my admiration and you know just awe of what they're capable of because these guys they'll curl up in a ball in a blizzard and just have a little nap and like if I went to sleep I'd probably die so i'm there doing star jumps trying to stay awake <laughs> and not alive and these little guys are happy happily just curl up in a ball and go to sleep until i'm ready to. and as soon as i say all right let's go they'll all jump up and lean straight into that harness like they're really um really regimented really well trained and just really nice dogs as well they're not they're, they're really friendly they'll sleep on your lap if you want them to they'll cuddle you they love pets they're like pets but they're you know incredible weapons. athletes as well yeah absolutely yeah, weapons. And yeah, and yeah, there's one one particular dog if you want me to tell a little story. love to. In 2014, her name was Lava. she was a superstar. Um, she actually we normally in the in the professional teams, they normally don't run little girls, girl dogs because they can come on heat, which means the boys will be interested in them. But in puppy teams it's always nice to throw in a couple of girls in the dog teams. And so I had this one girl called Lava. She was two years old. she led for 750 miles in single lead by herself up the front because she was on heat. If I put her anywhere else, the boys would just turn their heads and try and look at her and sniff her. So she ran up there and lead. And then on the stretch between a place called Shaktulik and Koyak, it's all frozen ocean. You can't see land at all. You're just out in the middle of the ocean, Bering Sea. There was a blizzard, ground blizzard. You couldn't see a thing. I lost the trail completely. I had her, her up the front, this tiny little dog little female compared to all the boys behind her. And she would just listen to every command I gave her. I couldn't see a thing. It was just howling blizzard sideways. They were slipping over. And I'd just say, ha, which is left, or G, which is right. And she would just keep plowing. And we just kept going until I saw the open water. And then we'd go right, right, back towards land. And then if we drifted to the left and saw open water again, I'd just say, G, 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 we'll keep going right. And she pulled me straight through that storm in single lead after probably leading at that stage for seven, well, 500 miles. And then she continued after the storm to continue leading by herself. So, wow. She's, yeah, she's by far the best, best leader I've ever, ever run. And I built the best relationship with that dog. And the following year in 2015, I definitely didn't let her go into the, the A team. She stayed with <laughs> me. <laughs> I
0: was going to say, how do you leave these guys? Like, after yeah. an experience like that, it, it must just drop you to the floor to say goodbye. Like, yeah,
1: go the, go the last day before I fly out is really tough. You know you walk through through the kennel and pat everyone that you, that you have a real good relationship with, but basically I pat out all the dogs because I love them all. Mm. but yeah, you spend a bit, bit of extra time with those guys that you get to run um, down the trail. and yeah, it's I always ask for I know all the guys that work work the kennel during the summer, so I ask for updates, I get photos and stuff because they become sort of part of your family while you're over there. Because, you know, it's just you and the team, really, and you're feeding them, caring for them, and they're getting you through all the adversity.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you just think about the connection you can make, you know, as you said, with an animal that is completely dedicated to you ultimately Mm -hmm. and you're in charge of its health and well-being and you come through it at the end together. You know, it helps you stay alive. You help it stay alive. Yeah, as I was saying, man, it just must be... A, a connection that not many of us get to experience to that level.
1: Yeah, it's a strange sort of symbiotic relationship when you're out there because you're both relying on each other and, well, the team's relying on you and you're relying on them to continue through these elements. And, yeah, you you sort of become one, a team.
0: <laughs> Does watching movies like Marley and Me and stuff affect you a little bit more than everyone else? <laughs> uh...
1: <laughs> red yeah. dog <laughs> yeah red red dog yeah i definitely get affected by animal movies that's for sure <laughs> but i've always been quite soft when it comes to you know dogs and just yeah the relationship they have with their owners and yeah i think my favorite movie that i watched about 700 times when i was little was benji
0: oh there you go it's, yeah. it's no it's interesting the way that the subconscious works itself into reality you know yeah. like in, in your later life and you know you're in charge as you said of a symbiotic relationship with a with yep. with a bunch not just one but a bunch of or a team of dogs that you know that put you put your life in their hands and vice versa it's really powerful but just as we finish off because as I said I'm very mindful of your time do you have a particular like a story where something went like just extremely well and and or as time when it was just absolutely fucked like <laughs> and just like as you said, near death, like that, obviously going through a snowstorm. Yeah. Um,
1: so, but- so that same, I'll, I'll do both stories. I'll do a quick one of near death. That same time in 2014, I was out on the ice. This was before we sort of really got got it down pat and we knew our left and rights we were out there. The storm was blowing. I'd lost the trail. I stopped. I walked around. I put my ice hook in the ice to, to hold the team and I wandered around for a good 15 minutes looking for any sort of indication of a, a way to go didn't find any the storm was getting really bad so I put all the dogs in my sleeping bag put them all, shoved all the dogs the whole team in my sleeping bag I have a big sleeping bag and then I put my my Parker over and I snuggled in and I created sort of a wind block with me in the sled and then the, the, the team was inside the sleeping bag downwind of them so they would maintain as much warmth as they could I knew I shouldn't go to sleep but I sort of closed my eyes and had a little cat nap and I woke up to the wind abating like it sort of went down but at that point I was considering you know like this could this could be it if this storm gets more ferocious because it was it was incredibly bad <laughs> like it was a big blizzard I couldn't see a thing and and when the wind picks up at that temperature it can actually just cut through flesh so it's yeah it's not it's not nice it's, it's minus minus 30 minus 40 and the wind's howling it makes it sort of minus 70 Wow. Uh, with the, with the windshield and yeah, and then if it's picking up any bits of ice, it just whips straight through you. So we sort of had a little breather, and I thought about mortality for a little while. And then once I came out of my cat nap, the dogs seemed very cozy in my sleeping bag, and I sort of regretted giving it to them. <laughs> and then <laughs> I got up and I put Lava in front, and she straight away leaned in her harness and she was ready to go. And from then we we continued on for the next, I think it was 20, 25 miles until the checkpoint, straight across the
0: ocean. Um, what, what goes through your mind, as you said, when you think about mortality in that moment, like, again, it's your first race, 2014, and, and you know, you're like, I, this could kill me. Like,
1: this is, at, like, at that point I was more worried about the dogs, and, yeah, I did think about myself, but I was like, I'm responsible for this whole group of dogs. The reason they're out here on the ice in a blizzard is because I've asked them to do it, mm, and they've been very willing and they're much more able than I am. And so you really got to pony up and and be the best version of yourself to get them safely out of that situation. And that's sort of what it's. It took me a little while to think about that while I was lying on the ice. Like you know, what if I don't you know get these guys out of here? They're going to be in a situation that they didn't want to be in. The only reason they're here is because of me. And so you know, I came. I motivated them. I gave them a snack. I patted everyone, and I'm like. Even if I don't know where the trail is, we're going to continue forward until we find, even if we're going backwards, at least we're getting somewhere. Mm. It was my sort of frame of mind. But luckily I I saw the ocean on the left, open water, and knew that I shouldn't be going that way. So I just kept G in right. And then if we hooked around, I saw the ocean again, I kept G in right until we saw a marker. And, yeah, just followed the markers from there. And this is a long process, over hours in the middle of the night, sort of from like 1 a.m. to 6 a.m.
0: Like pitch black.
1: Pitch black, but howling. The howling, howling winds sideways. It, come, it, comes, it comes from the mountains and hits the ice and just sort of creates like a, a sideways cyclone, and it just hits the ice and just follows it like a brick wall. It's pretty oh. pretty scary. And so your sled sliding sideways, your dog's are sliding sideways, and to the left is open water, so you don't want to be going that way.
0: Was that the way the wind was going?
1: Yeah, it always heads out to the ocean.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. So... And that, that was the reason I was thinking about my mortality because <laughs> it's that cold and you've got no insulation on the ice. Like at least with snow, there's a bit of insulation off the frozen ground. But on the ice, it's just basically you're in, in the freezer. So that was that was the probably scariest moment I've had racing. And it reminds
0: me of um in that Star Wars where he goes bing and he cuts open that big, the guts of that big yeah. snowstorm and he slides in. You know, and I was always like, that's so gross. I mean, I was like five and I was like, well, what is he doing that for? Keep them warm. Uh, totally. It comes out of the, the guts of this thing. And it was um, and you've literally experienced that in real life. Like, you know, you didn't open up the guts, but you had to look after these pups and just stay warm. Otherwise, it was it was time, checkout time.
1: And during that storm, no one left the checkpoint behind, and no one left the checkpoint in front, even though they'd arrived however long before and they had their certain amount of rest they needed. They didn't leave because the storm was so ferocious. And you have a GPS tracker that just shows a bleep on the computer screen. And so they were watching me not move and then they watched me go around in circles before I stopped. And and they weren't going to send anyone out until the storm storm abated because it was too dangerous. And the only people that will come out will be local Inuits. They'll jump on a snow machine once the storm's finished. They never go out in the storms because it's just it's, you know, putting themselves at risk. Of course. Which is yeah, totally fair. But it was, yeah, they were they were getting worried and then they they saw me moving and they, you know, once I arrived, they they filled me in that they were actually considering, you know, once the storm had gone, sending someone out to rescue me because they weren't sure what the situation was. They did rescue a few people further up the trail off the off different sections of ice that had sort of had the same situation with the windstorms and just hunkered down. But then one of them went hypothermic, froze, the dogs were fine, but the musher himself, yeah, had to be airlifted out so it was pretty pretty an early storm and then a really really good moment you have them every time you leave the kennel or every time you leave a checkpoint with your happy dogs like they love doing what they're doing they're all barking with excitement even after you know your last checkpoint you've run for 9 days you get them ready and they'll be barking in excitement to just do what they love doing so that that really is heartwarming for me and then yeah just doing the same thing that I did on the ice lying down next to them and falling asleep for my short nap at a checkpoint, not on the frozen ice with the blizzard, but when you come to a nice checkpoint and the sun's shining or whatever, and you you happen to have a rest there, feeding your dogs and just lying down them and having that sort of close connection and relationship. I think it really builds a good rapport with you and your team. And so that it's really one of my favorite things with the sport, being able to do that, provide for them and then sort of be part of part of their process as well.
0: Again, it's, it's, showcases again the the power of the connection you've experienced not just not just with you and the and the sport and you and yourself and putting yourself through these quests but you know the you and and the team and you and the landscape right it's like you and Alaska have become tight like buddies you become you become friendly with it and again you've gone through your hard moments with it but you've also experienced some of the greatest Probably bliss that you've ever experienced as well. And if I was, if I could ask you to close your eyes and so if you take a breath and close your eyes and just if I say, what is one of the most beautiful sights you've ever seen in Alaska? Could you describe that for us? What comes to mind?
1: Okay, one that just shot straight in is going down the Yukon River, which is a huge frozen river. Sort of, if you've seen the Nile or the Amazon, it's sort of like that equivalent. It's huge. And travelling down there with the the sun setting behind me, and turning around and seeing the sun set down over the set down over the ice in the river, but then also looking forward and seeing a moose and a cub go straight across my trail and and go across the frozen ice, and just seeing that that wilderness, those moose out in their element, and then also just seeing the beauty of nature. That's very untouched. There's no there's no buildings. There's no smog. There's no noise. It's just you and nature. And my baby, sorry about
0: that. <laughs> into the wild, man.
1: Yeah, very, very much into the wild. Actually, speaking about into the wild, I've, I've mushed to that, that bus as well. You know, on a training run. If you, mm-hmm. anyone's seen the movie Into the Wild, it's uh, pretty special into the Denali National Park. But yeah, just, just being out there, I've, I've seen wolves, wild wolves. As I've marshed, all the dogs, their hackles go up, their ears go up, their tails go up, and they they continue doing what they're doing, but they're definitely focusing on something else once they smell those wolves. But, yeah, just just that one memory then that came to mind was looking back, having the sun setting down over the massive frozen river and then looking forward and having a mum moose and a, a baby moose going straight across the river, using it as a highway now that it's frozen because there's no way it would they would be able to get from one side to the other in summer.
0: Oh, I've, man, I've really enjoyed it. Um... Really enjoyed this conversation. So I, and I hope the audience says it, I'm sure they will, but I just want to be, yeah, express my gratitude for your time and the way you spoke of not only your experience, but the experience with your team. I felt very heartfelt. It was quite almost emotional for me, man. So I really appreciate your time and I really appreciate you and I really appreciate what you've been able to do with your life. And Well, thank you, man. I, I really appreciate, yeah, our friendships lasted a long time, hasn't it? It does, man, and, yeah, it, I, and it will continue to well, I love it's, seeing and supporting you, man.
1: It's been uh, it's been great to be able to relive it and talk about it again. It's um yeah, it's my sport and I love it. Yeah, thanks, bro. Cheers, mate.